Hello, 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 and welcome to The Local Edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Tuesday evening, Patricio Rabayo. Every month, I gather our local reporters that we have in our listening area, we gather in our virtual room, and we go over the stories that are affecting our listening areas. This week... Or this month, I should say, I speak to reporter from the River Reporter, from the Democrat, and from the Times Union. We went over some stories that they worked on in the past, things that are affecting us now, and things that will affect us in the future. We first start off with Liam Mayo from the River Reporter, so let's get straight to it. This is September's Reporters Roundtable. Welcome to another edition of the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Patricio Robayo. Today, I'm joined with Liam Mayo from the River Reporter, Chris Rowley from the Schwanger Journal, Derek Kurt from the Sullivan County Democrat, and Philip Pontuso from the Times Union. Today, we'll be going over all the great news stories that happened over the past month and news stories that are happening now. Liam from Mayo from the River Reporter, let's start with you. I have a story from Wayne Memorial Hospital that they are right now facing some financial difficulties. What can you tell us about what exactly is causing the financial difficulties and what's going to happen in the future? Yeah, uh, this is a story uh, we've been following for a couple of months. The River Reporter, reporter Owen Walsh in Pennsylvania, started a little bit with an announcement back in August that Wayne Memorial Hospital uh, would be cutting both staff sizes and certain non-core services, uh, citing their financial challenges. And this isn't something that's unique to Wayne Memorial Hospital. Uh, hospitals across the nation are kind of struggling financially right now. Um, and uh, there's sort of no indication that Wayne Memorial is any worse off than other hospitals, but they are sort of experiencing, as they put it, economic hardship and rising costs set into motion by the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, they were hoping to, through uh, laying off a few people and cutting certain non-core services, uh, refocus and um, better be able to provide services uh, that they needed to provide for the money that they currently had. Um, more recently, they announced uh, that they would potentially partner with uh, Barnes Casson Hospital which is a nonprofit, 25-bed critical access hospital in Susquehanna County. Um, the two have entered into a letter of intent to affiliate. Um, so there'll be some sort of partnership there. Um, and they said they were going to do this for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is this kind of financial difficulty. Hopefully by partnering with another hospital, uh, you'll provide sort of a economy of scale and just a better financial situation for both hospitals while still being able to provide these local services that people need. Um, and then the other sort of rationale behind the partnership was expanding services. Um, according to uh, Wayne Memorial uh, CEO, James Pedinato, 
Um, they're in talks to expand services in neighboring counties. Um, and there are some sort of specialty services that Wayne Memorial currently offers that uh, Bardis Cassin doesn't currently offer. So the partnership could um, end up expanding services even in this time of financial hardships for both hospitals. Absolutely. You know, just listening to the word layoffs and automatically, um, I would think that some of the patients who use Wayne Memorial Hospital might be thinking, wow, what's going to happen to the services that I normally go to or clinics that I go to in the hospital? What will happen to them? But it seems like this partnership is going to help with that. Like I said, where the short force are, the other services will sort of pick up from what I understand. Yeah. And I'll add that um, in announcing the layoffs, they did say that uh, the immediate layoffs were a lot of administrative and non-direct patient care staff. So it's possible that there are like patients or sorry, uh, employees interacting directly with patients who are subject to this. But it looks more like the hospital is trying to tighten its belt in kind of that middle management area, not so much like doctors and nurses on the front line. That's good. Definitely good information to know. And you just keep on this healthcare uh, topic here. You have an update for us from the Sullivan County Sunset Lake Adult Care Center. It seems like there's a potential sale coming up. I- I'm confused by all the news that comes out of the of the lake care of the care center. Just because you know, a couple of years ago it was on the sale. It was a big controversy on that. Um, it was given the operation was given over to Infinite Care, but the county still owned the care center. So, what is the, actually the latest update on the adult care center? Yeah, it's definitely confusing, and I don't even at this point feel that I am 100% certain of it, but um, we've gotten a little more clarity recently because of um, sort of the impending myth of the agreement that will happen. Uh, the state, uh, New York State, is currently reviewing a uh, sale and acquisition um, from Sullivan County to uh, Sunset Lake um, or Sunset SNF operations uh, associated with Infinite Care, the uh, the organization that has been running the uh, care center for the past couple of years. Um, what it looks like from the documents reviewing this arrangement is Sullivan County will sell to Infinite Care kind of the operation of the care center. So they'll sell basically everything that makes the care center a care center. Um, but Sullivan County will keep the physical building of the care center. So they'll still keep sort of a, a foot in the door at that care center. Um, and this is up for review by the state. Uh, the state was going to sort of decide on it uh, in August. Um, it pushed that decision back to a meeting in November, trying to review it more. Um, patients and sort of patient advocates at the facility are still, or specifically patient advocates at the facility, are still trying to um, have Sullivan County keep the operations. They're still trying to have Sullivan County um, be the one running this facility because, for a number of reasons, they're concerned about care at the facility. And they're also concerned that if this sale goes through, 
uh, county residents won't really have a public figure to sort of um, ask redress of. Uh, county residents have been able to sort of try and take the Solving County Legislature to task for operations of the care center because, at least in theory, the legislature is the final like body overseeing care there. If it's sort of a private company doing it, it'll be that much harder to sort of advocate for the patients getting the care that they need at that facility. Now, the county would, under this arrangement, still have the physical building through the uh, Sunset Lake Local Development Corporation, which is associated with the county. Um, but that local development corporation sort of has made it very clear that we are the people in charge of operations at the facility. We're just the landlord. So they don't want to be that kind of oversight body accountable to the public uh, that the public is asking for. So that's sort of, I hope that wasn't too confusing, but that's sort of our understanding of where the situation is at at, at present. So what I'm hearing is that this means that the county will basically be landlords of the building uh, and the operations will be run by Infinite Care. Yeah, pre- pretty much. That's our current understanding of it. So I'm assuming this has to go to some kind of legislative body or some kind of voting has to happen before the sale is final, right? Um, It still has to go through New York State. That's the sort of body that is uh sort of making the final decision. I think it's the Department of Health that is the final body here. Yeah, like I said, this is going to be an ongoing story, so please... Definitely keep us up to date on what's happening with the care center in Sullivan County. That was Liam Mayo from the River Reporter. Uh, Derek Kurt, let's go to you. Derek Kurt from the Sullivan County Democrat. You have a story about the opioid awareness night. You were there. This is the evening that happens annually, recognizing those who we lost during the opioid crisis. Family members there who have uh, opioid has touched their lives. Agencies that can help support the the um, combating the disease of addiction here of opioids. Uh, we are the highest opioid rates, death rates. We have the highest opioid death rates in the state outside of New York City. So Derek, you were there that evening. What can you tell us? I was there in person that night and it was a really surreal uh, event. Um, as many people as saw County know, opioid epidemic um, and the effects of, you know, what has brought on the county um, is very, uh, uh, it permeates the lives of many, many people. Um, and so the International Overdose Awareness Day vigil, uh, is the third one that the county has held, um, so far, uh, in front of the, uh, courthouse in Monticello. Um, and this guest speakers highlighted, uh, a number of, uh, individuals, um, who have suffered the disease of addiction of, um, opioids or new loved ones who have, um, you know, uh, had to gone through and uh, unfortunately those who had been lost, uh, to the disease, um, as well as legislators, uh, with their, uh, viewpoints working, um, in both, uh, the federal house and the state house, um, to see what they can do, uh, for Sullivan County, uh, with, as they battle, you know, one of the worst, uh, health rankings, um, in New York state, um, which uh, lends to the opioid epidemic, um, in addition to local law enforcement and EMS workers who, uh, you know, gave their view of what they see with the epidemic on the street level. Um, it was a, a, a very solemn night um, with uh, luminaries, uh, candles lit, um, and it reflected well the amount of people in Sullivan County that have um, both silently and publicly 
um, gone through uh, the disease of addiction, specifically with uh, opioid and other um, illegal substance uh, use disorders. Uh, the, the, this year's um, Overdose Awareness uh, Day theme was recognizing those people who go unseen um, with a focus on family members and friends who, you know, are left uh, in the wake of tragedy um, after addiction. Um, and one notion uh, that captivated the message of the vigil uh, made by one of the speakers uh, is that secrets keep us sick. Um, as she said, uh, many attendees seem to share that idea uh, that the stigma of these issues only keep us from moving forward and from asking for help when needed. Um, so it was a great um, event to bring people together to show that um, here at Sullivan County, uh, we are uh, connected to this, whether we want to or not, and asking for help is is a good thing, and we can uh, break the stigma. Um, and connected to that, um, in recent news, public commenters have questioned the Sullivan County Legislature's usage of opioid settlement money, um, and that recently uh, has been uh, given a new uh, a roadmap um, with the legislators coming out with a new uh, settlement use money plan um, with uh, uh, it reaches up to about uh, 772000 up to uh, the plan um, incorporates. Um, the most of this, I believe, uh, is slated to go to Catholic Charities of Orange, Sullivan, and Ulster for ser- uh, services such as psychiatrics, nursing, ser- residential services, um, and all that uh, necessary necessary services uh and they are slated for about 334,000 uh the others um a little less um but that is definitely one of the biggest uh chunks um being slated out um so we'll have uh we'll be keeping an eye on what this money specifically will be used for um and we hope that uh um yeah you know whatever it is uh used for um it goes to the benefit of people of Southern County and surrounding areas who do suffer the disease of addiction in the face of this um, silent epidemic, it seems to be sometimes. Uh, more of that to be found on the September 26th edition of the Sullivan County Democrat. Yeah, the county had to spend, I believe, $1.4 million left over from the settlement uh, from the stemming from the class action lawsuits from the various opioid distributors and manufacturers. We had $1.3 million that had to be used. And he said majority of the money is going to Catholic Charities, Drug Task Force, and other agencies and law enforcement. So uh, thank you so much, Derek, for that story. Uh, let's move on to another story here. You have a, an update. Not really an update, but something we discussed the other day um, about a defamation lawsuit stemming from uh, this is between the legislature, Louis Alvarez, and the chairman of the legislature, Rob Doherty, Rob claimed that Alvarez used a sexual slur against a female county employee and further claimed that that allegation was founded. The jury came back with the verdict. Uh, it seems like in favor of Louis Alvarez. What can you tell us about this? Absolutely. So, yeah, um, as you pointed out, uh, the results of that, which you just mentioned, uh, has finally come to light um, with uh, legislator Alvarez winning his case uh, against fellow legislature Rob Doherty, um, it was decided by a six-member jury unanimously uh, that decided that the legislature chair Doherty had defamed his predecessor, uh, Louis Alvarez, um, when he publicly claimed that Alvarez had had a female counter, female county commissioner of profanity, uh, that he further claimed that uh, this allegation was founded. Um, a number of other, a number of uh, political leaders uh, lettered their opinions on the result, including le- uh, legislatures such as uh, legislator Nadia Reich as well as Sullivan County Republican Party Chairman Greg Goldstein. 
Um, Goldstein noted that in no certain terms we tolerate or support actions such as these, nor should anyone else. And a number of the uh, public officials uh, echoed uh, Goldstein's remarks. Um, Chairman Doherty uh, made a statement on the verge saying that while he vehemently disagrees with the decision in this case, he accepts the jury's verdict as that is how our judicial system works. Um, he went on to say, I can... I continue to stand by my actions and remain proud of my defense of a female county employee who, by her own testimony, testimony was wrongly attacked and insulted by another county legislature. Uh, this decision in no way alters the unanimous determination of the County Board of Ethics, which previously found that Mr. Alvarez had verbally abusive toward the employee in question. And Alvarez, Mr. Alvarez and his attorney, Michael Sussman, uh, gave a quote on the verdict saying that uh, Doherty had recklessly accused him of a despicable act, damaging his well-earned reputation, and that he had the gall to claim that this baseless allegation was founded when he knew full well that my act that the accuser had failed to ever raise uh, any such claim when speaking about the conduct either director of human resources or county ethics board. Um, so the results of this um, are still uh, very new. We're interested to see how this will play going forward into uh, the elections coming up on November 7th as both uh, Mr. Alvarez and uh, uh, Chairman Doherty are both seeking re-election. Um, so we'll be keeping an eye on this story moving forward. And it should be noted as well that no damages or uh, or monies were paid uh, as a result of this case. And that Mr. Alvarez noted that um, it was not about the money, but about his uh, um, fixing his uh, damaged reputation. Yeah, I'm curious to see if this will affect the election coming up. They are not running against each other. Obviously, but they're in different districts and um, they are both running for re-election. So uh, be interesting to see how this plays out during this election year. So thank you so much, Derek. We're talking to Derek Kurt, editor for the Solomon County Democrat. We'll be right back with more from the Reporters Roundtable for September. We'll be talking to Philip Pontuso from the Times Union, letting us know about more information about the tragic bus crash that happened last week at I-84 in Orange County. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Set your controls for the heart of the sun and tune in to hear the psychedelic synth situations of electronic hairpieces with your host, Nikki Vito. In this new weekly program, I'll be spinning retro synth, psychedelic, and experimental records Thursday nights at 10 p.m., following Connect the Dots at 9, only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. This week in This American Life, when comedian Atsuko Akatsuko was a little girl, her grandmother brought her from Japan, where they lived, to Los Angeles for a summer trip. And they never left. Stayed in America. Asko didn't see her dad for years. She's never known the true story. And now, as an adult, 
is this one question for Grandma. Did you kidnap me? The answer, this week. Saturday at 6 on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Tuesday evening, Patricio Robayo. We're going to continue on with our September edition of the Reporters Roundtable. We're going to continue with Philip Pontuso from the Times Union. Philip has a story on the tragic bus crash that happened last week on I-84. He has some information for the latest news. Uh, this has been all over the news, all over social media this past couple of days. Uh, the scenes, the photos from the, the event, it seems horrific. I, I just come to find out in your article that the operator has been um, had an unacceptable rating from the Department of Transportation. Uh, what can you tell us about the latest news from this crash that happened on I-84? Yeah, the latest update today as we're speaking is actually slightly positive. Um the crash uh, on Thursday, there were so there were forty students and four adults. The the two deaths were um, two adults. There were still five people who were in critical care a couple of days after the crash. But the district uh, superintendent for the Long Island School District that the students were coming from said yesterday that all the students are expected to recover fully, and I think they've all been downgraded to. Um, to stable condition as of today. So that's pretty good news. Um, the other update that our Lana Bellamy reported on, um, yesterday was lawmakers and first responders kind of renewing a call that they say they've been issuing for a couple of decades now to build uh, what's called a crash gate at that part of I-84 that would dramatically shorten response times for first responders. So I'm going to try to explain this in a way that works for audio. <laughs> but uh, that section of I-84 is sort of a divided highway, right? Um, and anybody who's seen photos from the crash will have seen the bus kind of over on its side in the median. But there's like a 50-foot ravine there. Um, and it means that, uh, it, like, usually... Um, responders who uh, are having to like emergency response who are responding to an accident or an issue anywhere kind of along that stretch of i-84 where the highway is divided have to go several miles east or west of an accident scene uh to get to an exit and turn around and, and get back right and so what a crash gate does is that it provides like a secondary non-public access point to roads um you know, it sort of remains to be seen what this specific one would look like, but basically it would be a kind of cut through, um, that would allow them to get to the place like quicker. Um, the yesterday, um, State Senator James Scoofus, who represents that area, Assemblyman Carl Brabonic and the Wawanda, the Wawayanda town supervisor, all called for the skate funding at a joint news conference at the fire department there. Um, yeah, apparently, um, so the assemblyman, uh, assemblyman Burbonic said that, uh, first responders and local officials there have been, have said that this is 
been necessary for years, as I mentioned earlier, and that the project has just been delayed over and over again. Um, and they're hoping that, you know, if there's one positive thing to emerge from this horrific bus crash, it would be, uh, that they can finally get this project over the line with the state funding they need from the DOT to, um, to prevent hopefully, um, a, uh, uh, like a little slower response times in the future. Um, it's kind of unclear if that would have made a difference in this case exactly. Um, you know, the, there are still multiple investigations ongoing into the specific nature of the crash, both what caused it and, uh, the response times. Um, the state police investigation will probably be published first. Um, but the National Transportation Safety Board is also on the scene. And, uh, I've had several sources tell me they, they do a much more sort of thorough, uh, and robust job of investigating crash accidents. Their, uh, lead investigator said on Friday that it should take them something like five to seven days to do the investigation itself, just to gather all the material they need, do all the interviews, et cetera. And a spokesperson for that agency told me yesterday that it would probably be about 30 days from the day of the crash that a preliminary report was issued. Um, Go- Governor Kathy Hochul um, and a state police uh, lieutenant in a news conference the day of the crash said that the kind of preliminary estimate is that there was an issue with the front tire that caused the bus to, um, to crash. Um, it, it was, you know, there wasn't a collision with any other vehicle, at least that's been reported so far. Um, but of course that still has to be substantiated. Um, and then the one other piece of news in this case is the story that I actually broke, um, on a Friday, which is that Regency Transportation Limited, which is the Long Island based operator of the bus company. Um, they're on the State Department of Transportation's list of unacceptable operators um, for failing five of 15 semi-annual department inspections over the past year. And what that means basically is that, so the, the state DOT maintains what it calls operator category lists as part of its uh, bus safety program. And to compile these lists, the state sends motor vehicle inspectors that are supposed to look at all of the uh, buses in operation every six months in the state. These are charter buses, school buses, et cetera. Um, the inspectors then categorize those operators as preferred, acceptable, unacceptable, or unrated, basically depending on how many of uh, what percentage of inspections the operators fail. Um, if an operator fails 25% or more of its inspections, it goes on the unacceptable list, which is an annual list. Um, the, the 2022-23 unacceptable operator list, which, uh, was effective May 15th, includes Regen- Regency, uh, the Long Island operator that had failed five of 15 inspections. The DOT spokesperson told me that the majority of those issues had to do with braking systems. Um, inspectors also noted record keeping and rear 
uh, axle issues. So again, it's too soon to say whether that directly related to, uh, this crash. The bus that did crash, uh, last week was inspected in August, which is when Regency purchased it. And it had been previously inspected in other states, um, when it was being operated by a different company in a different state and had also passed a random roadside inspection by the DOT since the regular August inspection. So that bus seemed to be in good stead. You know, I just thought it was kind of interesting that the operator was on this unacceptable operators list. If only because the school district in Long Island, presumably when they hired this bus, the, the bus was already on the unacceptable operator list. And so I don't know that too many people know that these lists exist. And that does it for this edition of the Reporters Roundtable. And it does it for the local edition. We'll be back tomorrow night to do this all over again. We'll be talking to Leo Mayo from The River Reporter again. And also we'll be talking to New York Focus. I'll be your host for this Tuesday evening, Patricio Robayo. Check out our podcast. Check out our website, wjffradio.org. Have a good night, Lucy. Check me out tomorrow morning. I'll be hosting Radio Chatskill. And we'll be airing more of the interview from Philip Pantos. So he has a lot more to say about this accident and a lot more stories to tell us. So tune in tomorrow at 10 o'clock, Radio Chatskill. I'll be there. I'll be live in Liberty. Come join me. Support comes from Jeff Bank, Sullivan County's Community Bank, celebrating 110 years of service this year, offering deposit and loan products for all your banking needs. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender, National Mortgage Licensing System and Registry Identification Number 405318. Jeff Bank, still banking strong. And support comes from listeners like you who donate at WJFF Radio.